Red Rocks Church. How we doing today? We doing good? You can do better than that. You can do better than that. How we doing today? There we go. Hey, can you just help me? Let's welcome all of our Denver-based campuses, our men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses, our Brussels, Belgium campus, and everybody that's watching online. Can we just welcome them? We're so glad that we get the opportunity to do life with you. Church wouldn't be the same without you. Uh, hey, if you're new today or maybe you don't know who I am, my name is Ronnie. I'm the campus pastor um, here at our Littleton campus. And I get the astounding pleasure of being able to share something that's near and dear to my heart today. Um, man, I just want to encourage some of you today. Uh, I don't know what you came in here with, but I believe with all of my heart that each and every time that we approach this place, every time that you come in through those doors, every time you grab a cup of coffee, every time you hear a message, every time you get an opportunity to worship with the people next to you, I believe that God's faithful to come and that he meets you. His word says in Hebrews eleven six that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so I believe that every time that we enter into this room, every time you enter into one of our locations, every time you watch a message online, I believe that as we diligently seek Jesus, he's a rewarder of us. And so we can come into this place every single time expecting to be blessed. And so I'm excited uh, today to be able to have, have an opportunity to share the word because um, it's been in moments like this where I'm sitting in a row, sitting in a chair just like you, that God has changed the, traje the trajectory of my life on multiple different occasions. And so I'm expectant on your behalf. I believe that God has given me a great word to share and one that's going to be a blessing to you. And so before you get too comfortable, if you, are ca if you can and if you're able, would you just stand to your feet at all locations? Would you stand to your feet. I just want to read a scripture over us to kind of set the trajectory of tonight and just pray over us. And, and this, the scripture that I want to encourage us with today is in Psalm 9 verse 10. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. And it says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I'm going to read that one more time. It says, in those that know your name, the word name here means the essence of a man, those that know your character, those that know your reputation, those that know your authority, those that know your power. Look what it says. They put their trust in you. Not some of them, not some of the time, but those that know your name put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I believe that I came here today maybe to just encourage some of you on some things that you might have already known. Maybe I won't share anything that might be a particular new revelation, new knowledge to you. But I came here, I believe, today to encourage some of you to put all of your trust, not just a portion, not just the parts that are convenient, but to put all of your trust on Jesus today. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that many of us, we just don't follow Jesus the way that we intend to because we don't trust him. We don't obey him the way that we ought to because we just don't trust him. And we don't seek him the way we ought to because we just, we don't trust him. So my encouragement today is that you would put all of your trust in Jesus. Many times we're taught not to put all of our eggs in one basket, 
It's a bad investment philosophy, um, but it's great in the kingdom of God. So I want to encourage some of you today that today could be a day for you to that you put all your eggs in the basket of trusting in the power and the perfection and the name and the authority and the reputation of Jesus. So would you pray with me, Lord? God, we're expectant today. We know that your word says that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And God, I believe that every single person that's here today is here because we are diligently seeking after you. And so God, you're faithful 100% of the time to reward us. And so God, we come into your presence expecting something amazing, expecting something great. Lord, would you work on our behalf? And God, would you cause trust to rise in our hearts today. We love you and we pray all these things in your precious and powerful and reputable name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, give three people a high five. Tell them that you're glad to see them. Come on, say, I'm glad to see you. You got to mean it. I'm glad to see you. And if you're watching this online, maybe you're on a treadmill and you don't have somebody to give a high five, just invite the person next to you to church. Just do it. Tell them your pastor told you to. Hey, as many of you guys know, a lot of you guys know my story. I'm an Indiana boy. I was raised in a a big family. I'm one of eight kids. Um, Yes, my parents knew how kids were made, yet we still have eight kids in our family. Um, Grew up in a big family. Dad was a pastor. Um, I got stories for days for y'all. But one of the stories that came to mind as I was preparing for this weekend um, was a story uh, of my brother and my cousin and I. And I was about probably eight or nine years old. And uh, had my brother, my brother's two years younger than I am, and, and my cousin Scooter. And I just got to say, everybody's got to have a cousin Scooter. Everybody's got to have a cousin Scooter. So we're, we're playing at the house. We just ran around all day long. It was one of those hot summer, Indiana, muggy, humid days. We came inside and we wanted to get something to drink, get a little bit of refreshment. And so we run into the kitchen and there sitting on the island are some scrumptious Dr. Peppers. And so we, being the eight-year-olds that we are, we grab those and we run upstairs to consume them so that my mom would not find out. And so we're upstairs and we decided, since we're seven, eight, nine years old, we decided that the best way to drink these root beers was to drink them shotgun style. And so there we are. I had to say that I led this. Um, We're shaking the cans up. We puncture it with a pen. I hand one to Scooter, and I take the next one. I shake it up. I puncture it with a pen. Dr. Pepper's spraying everywhere. I hand it to my brother. I take one for myself. I shake it up. I puncture it, and we're just in there drinking the Dr. Pepper out of these cans. It was amazing. A couple hours go by, and my cousin Scooter goes home. I'm playing in the basement with my brother, and we hear this thunderous roar from upstairs, and it's my dad. And he says, Ronnie and Joel, get upstairs now. And whenever we knew, whenever we heard that tone, whenever we heard that tone of voice from my dad, we knew something was about to go down. And so we ran upstairs, and in all the innocence that we could muster, we just looked at our dad, and yes, daddy, yes, daddy. And he looked at us, and he said, guys, what is this all over the ceiling? And we look up, and lo and behold, the whole ceiling was covered with mist of Dr. Pepper. Our white walls had this mist of Dr. Pepper scattered all over the walls and all over the ceiling. And my dad said, who did this? And I looked at my brother, kind of like, dude, you got my back, right? I got your back. And at the same time, I said, Scooter did it. Joel looked at me and goes, Ronnie did it. 
and I looked at him just fuming mad that he had just ratted me out. My own brother, my own flesh and blood. You were supposed to have my back. I thought we had this visual pact together and you ratted me out. And so clearly we weren't on the same page. My dad said to us, boys, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to get some cleaning supplies and I'm also going to grab my paddle. And I'm going to give you some time to get your story straight um, because I want to know who did this. And clearly someone among us is a liar. And so he went downstairs, grabbed the cleaning materials, comes back upstairs. And while he was downstairs, I gave my brother the, the, that death look. And I was like, dude, if, if you wrap me out, so help me. I will throw you so fast out this window. I will end you. And he looked, and we were on the same page. Dad comes back up, and he says, Ronnie, how did this get up here? And I said, Dad, I told you. Scooter did it. Scooter did it. And, and he looks over at Joel and he said, Joel, did Scooter do it? And these big crocodile tears well up in my brother's eyes. And he's like. <laughs> Once again, I'm like fuming mad. And so my dad says, okay, clearly we're not on the same page. Since one of you is lying, I'm going to have to paddle both of you. And right then my brother tears welling up in his eyes. He was the honest one. He told the truth and he starts crying. And I look at my, my, at my brother and I go, dad, wait. Wait, it's coming back to me. It's coming back to me. I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that did it. I admitted, I admitted to the fault. I ended up getting a paddle. We took the rest of the day trying to clean it up. But isn't it amazing that you could ask two people the same question and you can get a different response? Two people hear the same exact thing from the same exact person, yet they give a different response. And if you're taking notes today, the, the title of my talk today is called A Different response, a different response. And if you don't like that title, you can make up your own. That's just what I called it. Um, but we're going to talk today about two men in particular in scriptures that received the same invitation. They heard the same question, yet they gave two different responses. And so if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. And if you didn't bring a Bible, um, we're going to have it up there on the screen for you. But in Matthew 19, we get a story called the rich young ruler. And it's a story that might be familiar to some of you. Um, but let's go ahead and dive in. Let's read this. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is one, there's only one who is good. If you, if you want to enter life, keep my commandments. Which one, he inquired. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect which means to be mature. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give all that you have to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come, circle this, follow me, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth, because he had great wealth. So Jesus gives this man an invitation. He says, follow me. And the scriptures tell us that this man from the, the, the title of this story is called the rich young ruler. So we can infer three things. He's rich, he's young, 
And he's a ruler. He's got some, uh, some influence. And this man at this time is asking Jesus, what do I need to do to go to heaven? Because at this time, this was before Jesus was crucified on our behalf. And, and the way that we gained right standing in the eyes of God was by following what they call the law of God. And this was written back in the Old Testament. And these were commandments that man was to follow in order to gain right standing with God. And, and this man says, Jesus, clearly I've, I've kept these from the day of my youth. What else do I need to do to take part in eternal life? And at this point, this man, he's a good Christian man. He's wealthy. He's affluent. He's got some influence. He's a good man. He's right standing. He's a rule follower. And yet Jesus gives this guy, the most eligible bachelor, the dude has got some sizzle. He asks him, hey, do you want to be my disciple? Do you want to follow me? Do you want to follow me? And it says that the man recounts all of his possessions. He realizes that he has great wealth and he walks away full of sorrow. Some translation says that he walks away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus gives this man the most incredible invitation of his life. And it says that this man goes away full of sorrow. This story for me has been replayed and reminded to me on many, many, many different occasions as the, as the guy that I don't want to be. I don't want to be the guy that gets the invitation from Jesus. And when he invites me to take part with him, I say, oh, it's not necessarily convenient for me right now, Jesus. I, I'm kind of, I got a good thing going right now. And, and really, you know, I got, got my wealth. I got my affluence. I got some influence. I got some good history. Uh, I got some successes behind me. Uh, I got some great things in my future. So at this time, maybe, maybe a little bit later, maybe now is not the right time. Maybe I'll respond to you a little bit later. But this man... Missed out on one of the greatest opportunities of his life. Fast forward 10 years, 20 years. I bet you this was one of the biggest regrets of this man's entire existence. But there's another man that received the same invitation and gave a different response. If you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew 4. Matthew 4. And we're going to start in verse 18. And here we find Jesus. And it says, um, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, meaning Jesus... He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, circle this, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And look what it says, verse 20, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. The passage in first, it, it almost didn't even take thought. It, it, they didn't really have to wrestle with this decision. They just immediately dropped what they had and they followed Jesus. And the more that I dove into this, the more that I started tearing this apart, I started asking myself, Jesus, why did the rich young ruler respond in such a different way than Peter? You literally asked them the same exact question, follow me. Gave them the same invitation, follow me. Yet we had two completely separate outcomes. And one of the beautiful things that I love about scripture is that the more that you read it, the more you see how multifaceted it is. And the beautiful thing about the New Testament is there's multiple accounts of this story. And there's an account in, in Luke chapter 5. We're going to go there so you can turn there. But there's an account in Luke chapter 5 that gives us a little bit more detail. And I believe that it's very profound. Starting in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, 
he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat there, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their, uh, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, if you have your Bible, circle that word, saw it, he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And they brought their boats to the land, and they left everything and followed him. Once again, two men, the same exact invitation, yet completely different responses. And I believe that what is enclosed in this passage is very profound, You see, one invitation to a man, the man looks back at his possessions, looks back on his past, looks back on all that he's accomplished, and I can just hear the heart of this man snicker at Jesus as he invites him to sell everything that he has and give it to the poor. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. He's probably worked very hard for the money that he has, and Jesus has just said, sell everything and give it away to the poor. If I were him, I'd say, Jesus... I worked really hard to get to this point. This took me blood, sweat, and tears. It took me a lot of education. It took me a a lot of failures, a lot of hardships. And yet, you want me to give my money away to the poor? People that are clearly poor because they don't know how to make money. They don't know how to do what I do. They don't know how to keep what I've made. What a foolish investment that would be to take all that I have and give it to poor people. Jesus, (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. Thank you for your help. And the man walks away. Yet Peter gives a different response. When I asked you to circle, Peter saw it. When I read that, that that jumped out at me. I'm reading this thinking, okay, what did Peter see that was so influential, so monumental that he would immediately drop everything that he had and follow Christ? Notice that Jesus had to tell the rich young ruler, he had to tell him, Sell everything that you have and give it away. Then follow me. Yet on the other side, he talks to Peter and he says, follow me. And he willingly gives up all that he has to follow Jesus. One translation says that they left their nets, they left their boats, and they left their father. He left literally everything. What would cause a man to respond so dramatically different? I believe that when I read this, The Holy Spirit just illuminated the Peter saw it. What was the it? What was the it that Peter saw? I believe with all my heart what Peter saw was a glimpse of the power and the authority of Jesus. Just moments ago, he had just heard heard Jesus preach. 
But following directly after that, he saw Jesus' power and Jesus' authority in action. I can just picture Peter as Jesus says, hey, Peter, push away. The subtle prompting, hey, Peter, push away and throw your nets once more. Push away from the shore, throw your nets once more. If I'm Peter, I'm going, Jesus, I'm the pro here. With all due respect, sir, you're a teacher. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisher. We did this all night. We didn't catch one thing. But Peter doesn't say that. He says, Jesus, we did this. Just so you know, I don't want you to look like a fool out there. They push away from the shore. They throw out their nets. And Peter begins to pull the nets into the boat, feel a little heavier than they used to. They feel a little bit heavier than they normally do. And as he's pulling in the fish and filling the boat and signaling to his partners, bring more boats, bring more boats, something is going on. Peter had a moment where he got to see the power and the authority of Jesus Christ right before his eyes, standing in his boat, meeting him exactly where he was. I believe that what Peter saw, the it that he saw, was a demonstration of who Jesus really was. He was more than a great communicator, but he had a demonstration of power. Peter knew that he was in the midst of a man that had some power and had some authority. And I don't know about you, but I can just picture Peter. He's pulling in the fish, realizing this is Jesus. This is the Messiah that people have been prophesying about. This is the one that we've been waiting for, and he's in my boat. Peter, the ultimate fisherman, was just outfished by Jesus. The thing that he was great at, the thing that he was skilled at, the thing that he was a professional at, he's just been schooled. And he's standing there, says that he looks at Jesus and he becomes aware of his sinful nature. He becomes aware that he's broken. I can just see him, Jesus. Can't you pick someone else? Can't you pick somebody that might be more qualified than me? I'm just a fisherman. Can't you call somebody that's smarter? Somebody that's got some more affluence, somebody that's got some more money, more power, a bigger bank account, somebody that's more learned. Jesus, I work with my hands, I catch fish, I come home smelling like dead fish at the end of the day. Clearly, there's got to be somebody that's better, somebody more suitable than me. Yet, if you want to see the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ on display, Jesus looks at this man. Jesus looks at Peter, he's broken, he's hurting, he's on his knees, full of remorse. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, I'm fully God. I was there before the foundation of the earth. I'll be there when everything comes to an end. I was there when I fashioned you and I formed you in your mother's womb. All of your quirks all of your gifts, all your inadequacies, all your insufficiencies, all your fears and all your doubts, even the color of your hair, that was my idea. Peter, I'm God, I fashioned you. And I can just see Jesus looking down at this man, dirty and broken after a night of fishing, broken in the sight of his sin. And Jesus just looks down at him and says, Peter, I knew exactly what I was getting when I called you. I didn't call you 
because you had everything all lined up. I didn't call you because you were the perfect candidate. I didn't call you because you had the pedigree. I didn't call you because you had the giftings. I didn't call you because your bank account was full. I didn't call you because you were old enough. Peter, don't you see? My call was not a mistake. I knew exactly what I was getting when I called you. If I could flip the script to some of you today, Jesus knew exactly what he was getting when he called you. Some of you have been feeling the promptings from the Holy Spirit to make some leaps, to take some steps of faith, to take the next step in your walk with Christ. But because of your insufficiencies, because of your fears, because of your doubt, because of your lack, you have considered yourself disqualified. And I want to encourage you today. Jesus does not call you because you're qualified. He's wanting to qualify you because he called you. Some of you aren't capable for what he has for you. Some of you aren't ready. You don't have enough money. You're not old enough. But the card of God upon you when he calls you, he's not making a mistake. He's not calling a man or woman that he doesn't understand, but he knew you, he fashioned you in all of your insufficiencies. He sees everyone. God knows exactly what he's getting when he calls you. Every doubt, every fear, every insecurity. God knew exactly what he was getting. Think with me for a moment. What if, what if Peter wouldn't have responded to that subtle call? Hey, Peter, push out a little bit and recast your nets. What if he wouldn't have responded to that call? Do you think he would have responded so effortlessly to the big call of God when it came? Peter, leave everything you have and follow me. Scripture doesn't tell us that, but me, I, I don't think that he would. I don't think that unless Peter saw a demonstration of the power and the authority of Jesus, I think he probably would have put a little bit more thought and said, Jesus, I got an operation to run here. Thanks for the invitation. I'll do it when it's more convenient. I'll do it on my watch. I'll do it on my time. But Peter said, nevertheless, Lord, at your word, we will cast our nets again. What if Peter would have missed that subtle command? Some of you are looking for the big call of God on your life, yet you neglect the subtle call of God on your life. You know, the more and more that I walk with Christ, I'm still young, I'm still inexperienced, I still got a lot to learn. But the more that I walk with Jesus, the more that I realize that me and my call and my walk with Jesus has very little to do with me and my capabilities, me and what I'm able to do, and it has everything to do with the one that called me. It baffles me to be standing here, 26-year-old punk. You know what I struggle with? My whole life, I felt dumb and inadequate. I haven't felt smart enough. Yet I continue to give God what I have. And he takes it and says, Ronnie, you might not be smart enough, but take what I've given you. Give it to me. Respond with obedience and trust that I know what I'm doing. He says, Ronnie, when I called you, I knew exactly what I was getting. 
My walk with Christ has more to do with my obedience than my capability. If I could encourage you, your walk with Christ has more to do with your obedience than your capability. Jesus knew exactly what he was getting when he called you. I only got a few moments left, but I'd love to share some stories with you. Sometimes it's hard to take what's going on in Peter's life thousands of years ago and translate to 2016. I just want to share a couple instances of God's blessing and God's obedience or God's blessing and reward when I was obedient. And let me just start by saying I've missed more opportunities than I've taken advantage of. But there was one moment in particular, I was walking through a Walmart and minding my own business, just doing some shopping with a friend of mine and and we walked past these four teenagers and I just felt the subtle call of the Lord in my heart, just in my spirit. And I just felt like he was wanting me to go pray for them. And instantly, like most of us do, I started kicking back to God. God, I don't know what to say. I don't necessarily know what's going on in their life. What if they don't need prayer? Uh, how am I going to know the right things to say? I'd rather just not. And I, I just couldn't kick it. I couldn't shake it. So I leaned to my buddy and I said, hey, dude, I need you to help me. I feel like I'm supposed to pray for these people. And I, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I feel like a complete idiot. I don't really know what to do. So he said, come on, let's go. And I just walked up to these four high school students. And I just said, hey, sorry, my name is Ronnie. I don't mean to startle you, don't, don't mean to disrupt what you're doing, um, but I just felt like I was supposed to come and ask you if there's anything that I can pray for you for. And right then and there, the four of them all looked at each other and their eyes just blew up and they're glowing and they're, and they're beaming from ear to ear and then some start crying and they start telling me all about what's going on in their family life. There's just torment and chaos and people are dying and divorce is happening. And these four have banded together and they're going through hell. And I didn't have the right words to say. And and so I told them that I go, "I, I don't really know what to tell you right now, but I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you that God sees you. God knows what you're going through. And, and if there's anything I can do to pray, I would love to pray for you right now. And they start crying and I'm crying. I cry at the opening of a Walmart, so that's not necessarily a big shocker, but I'm crying and we're all together and we begin to pray over one another. They're in the aisle of a Walmart and two of them gave their lives to Jesus because of a subtle prompting from a guy that didn't feel like he had the right words to say. Jesus moved in their life. You see, he didn't ask me to have the right words to say. He just said, listen, I want you to just say something. I just want you to pray for them. I'll take care of the rest. So I stepped out and he met me exactly where I was. And he he went exceedingly and abundantly more than I could have ever prayed for. I believe that I'll see two faces in heaven. That'll thank me one day. Thank me for just being a conduit to allow the Holy Spirit into a situation. A couple months later, my wife and I were in some financial hardship and, and we're down to one car and we were doing the, the commuter gig. And so I was taking her, dropping her off to work. We lived in Castle Rock. I'd drive to Highlands Ranch and I'd drive back to Castle Rock where I worked. And it was super inconvenient and I had an unreliable vehicle. And so we were saving up to get a second vehicle and, and that was on our prayer list. I'm like, God, would you just help us bless us with the money to get another vehicle? It'd be amazing. We trust you. And, and in one of my times of prayer, 
God began to quicken some things inside my heart. Later that day, I met with some friends, some great friends of ours that were looking to buy a more reliable vehicle, and they were in the same predicament as us, and I felt the same subtle prompting in my heart. And God said, I want you to bless them financially. And my knee jerk was, God, remember, I was, I was the one that was praying for the money. Remember, I'm the one that needs the car. I'm the one that needs some provision. And God says, I want you to bless them. So I talk with my wife. She says, if that's what God's saying, I want you to do it. Go and bless them. So we wrote them a check. We blessed them. A couple of weeks later, I'm getting coffee with a buddy. He just tells me, man, I was just in a, in a car accident. I need to replace my car. I don't necessarily have the money. I, I, I don't know what to do. I felt the same thing, stirring in my heart. God said, I want you to bless him. And this time, I want you to give everything that you have in your account. Give everything that you have in savings. I want you to give it all away. Once again, God, remember me. I think, I think our communication, I think you're breaking up. I'm the one that needs a car. I'm the one that needs some provision in my life. And he says, Ronnie, can you just give what you have? I know you don't have extra, but can you give what you have? I know you don't have extra to give generously, but give what you have. Give what you have. So I call my wife. I'm like, babe, I'm so sorry. You're not going to believe this. I feel like God's asking us to give generously again. And she says, how much do you think he's asking us to give? And I said, he asked us to give it all. I love my wife because she said, if that's what God's asking you to do, then give it all. So I remember I wrote a check, put it in his hand, and I just started getting unglued. I was at a worship service. And I ran to the back. And I never felt so fearful. But yet I never felt so alive. You see, Jesus didn't ask me to give because I had excess. He didn't ask me to give because I was capable. On my, on my balance sheet, that didn't make sense. It was illogical. Some might call it foolish. But I obeyed Jesus. And I went in the back of that auditorium. And I just had a moment with God. Where I just said, Jesus, whenever you ask, I want to be able to give. Make me obedient to the small things. A couple weeks later, out of nowhere, we hadn't told his soul what was going on. Out of nowhere, my wife and I get a check for 4,500 bucks, just enough to buy a little clunker car. And it's the same car I drive every day to work. It's not the car I wanted, not the car I hoped for. But every time I get into that car, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness. That every time that I step out, no matter how hard or how inconveniencing it might be, he'll meet me. And I want to encourage some of you today, this, these weren't mentioned to be sound like I'm bragging. I want to encourage some of you. Sometimes the things that God is asking you to do won't make sense. Sometimes you won't feel capable. Sometimes you won't have enough. But God's just asking you to bring what you have. What if Peter wouldn't have responded to the subtle call? I bet you he wouldn't have responded to the big call. Fast forward to later in Peter's life. Jesus said, Peter, you're a rock. And on you, I will build my church. 
What if he would have said, Jesus, I'm, I'm the fisherman here, remember? We tried all night and it didn't work. Red rocks. When God's subtle call comes to you, however that may, may happen, will you give him a different response? If you're taking notes, write this down and rehearse this. God is not looking for the capable. He's looking for the obedient. And I don't tell you these stories in order that you give to get, but I promise you that every time that you're obedient, obedience opens the floodgates of God's blessing upon your life. As we close, I want to close with just a couple of quick scriptures. We're done. But for those of you that have missed the call of God on your life, the subtle calls, the promptings to follow him, the promptings to live like him, and you've missed them, you've turned a deaf ear for whatever reason, I want to encourage you that the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty nine 29 that God's gifts and God's calls are under full warranty. Never canceled. Another version says, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. If you've missed them, God's grace is sufficient. I promise you he'll call again. If you've turned a deaf ear, I promise you he'll give you another shot to listen. He's wanting to invite you into this life to live fully alive. And trusting God will help you give a different response. And my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. I love this because most of the time, following Jesus does not make sense. And every time it doesn't make sense, I'm reminded of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll make your path straight. He'll direct your steps. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart because trusting in God will help you give a different response. As we close, I just want to invite you all at every location, would you stand up? I want to close the same way that we started. Psalm 9, verse 10, hopefully you'll be able to look at it into a different light, but it says this, and those who know your name, your reputation, your power, and your authority, put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Red Rocks Church, when God calls, will you give a different response? When God calls, Will you give a different response? Or will you go on living life as normal, turning a deaf ear? Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I just want to pray for every single person that's in here today, Lord, that has turned a deaf ear to your call. Lord, let today be the day where they turn to you, an ear that is listening, an ear that is receptive, a heart, Lord, that is willing to be obedient no matter the cost. God, you're not looking for the capable, but you're looking for those that will just be obedient. God, to just bring what they have, 
We know it's not enough. We know it's too small. We know it's not good enough. But Jesus, you knew exactly what you were getting when you called us. Lord, change us like only you can do. We love you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for leading us. I just pray that we'd be responsive to your promptings when they come. Lord, help us as Red Rocks Church to give a different response. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Red Rocks Church, let's worship.